You are listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Well, I know the doctor's in. We're just patching him in so we can hear him and he can hear us. And uh, Dr. Raj Bittar is with us each and every week as we kick off advanced medicine. And we were doing a little bit of advanced medicine last hour talking molecular hydrogen and uh, prevention reversal of colon cancer. Interesting new study. But we've got a lot of cool stuff to talk to Dr. Bittar about this hour. Uh, as long as he's not playing. No, he's not playing in the dirt. Uh, we'll know when he's on because I'll hear him. Uh did you know the tooth extractions, if done, uh, let's say, in a person that may be harboring microbiological pathogenic life forms, could be could lead to death? Yeah, cardiac arrest. Uh, also, half the world's population may be obese by 2030. We've got a moment of doubt regarding weight loss in pregnancy or maintaining a healthy weight in pregnancy. And the immune mechanism to attack viruses has finally been discovered. What does that mean? For modern medicine, will they support your immune system, or will they say, "Hmm, let's see if we can develop a new drug to mimic what the immune system already is designed by God to do"? Let's find out. Doctor Rashid Batar is here. Hey, Robert, how are you? Doing well, my friend. I, I, you know how it is. You just jump into the show, and and who knows where we go? I've got some stories I definitely want to cover with you, uh, including one maybe political story later on. We'll get to that. But uh, for now, I want to ask as you as you join us here for uh, some advanced medicine, some medical rewind. Is there anything going on in the world that you want to cover this hour more than anything else? I think that there was a story that uh, that. Uh, I believe Deb sent to us, and maybe we can talk about it during the break. But um, I'm open. Let's flex. Okay, yeah, that was the flesh-eating bacteria story. She likes the gross ones. <laughs> maybe right. we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I think the first one is is a scary story that came out recently, and it related to tooth a tooth extraction that had occurred. And in this extraction, which they, you know, people think that's a fairly routine. Uh, a scenario, although uh, when you're talking about pulling out the wisdom teeth, that's a little more intense than just uh, any other teeth. But a Minnesota teen uh, evidently uh, borderline uh, between life and death after this extraction, and they're blaming it on some kind of bacteria. And I always hear about dentists saying, if we're going to extract a tooth, uh, we have to put you on an antibiotic prophylactically. So maybe you have some perspective on that. Well, I think a lot of the concern with starting people on prophylactic antibiotics is more because of the mitral valve prolapse and endocarditis type scenario that they want to try to prevent. So they're using it prophylactically to prevent somebody from developing an endocarditis. But um, as far as, you know, when you're dealing with any type of uh, cavitation type issue, you know, mm-hmm. I think that there's many other ways of preventing dissemination of disease yeah, this is actually probably a good time to bring up something that I, when I first learned the following fact that I'm going to give you, which is that 95% of all chronic pathology starts in the mouth. I had no idea about this, and I learned this at a conference about 15 years ago. Um, but if you start looking at that, that 95% of all disease comes from the mouth, 
then you start realizing how important good mouth health is, or good, not necessarily just dental oral. hygiene, but specifically the, the oral um, mm-hmm. oral health is concerned is very, very important. Well, and, and this is the thing, though. The dentist in the, in the last hundred years, or maybe a little more, when they adopted mercury as their tooth filling, I mean, it kind of discredited, if you really said they, they were doing anything good for oral health, I think Weston Price said, well, they screwed the pooch on a lot of things, including uh, understanding the concept of native diets, non-processed diets, and food. But the whole mercury thing just, just ruined it for dentistry. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, this is... This is one of the things that when we start understanding how important oral health is and, and things that we can do uh, from a preventive standpoint, um, it, it, makes, it makes the entire idea of preventive medicine and wellness and optimization um, more possible. Because when you start looking at it from all these different aspects and all these things that we're breathing in and ingesting in and drinking in and all the exposures that we're coming through, uh, coming on, a, uh, coming in contact with on a daily basis. If there was one way that we could find out, one thing that we could do to increase the uh, statistics in our favor, well, oral health comes in as a you know star here because that's one thing that we can start to focus in on to try to reduce our um, well, not to to increase our chances of getting that optimum health and that ideal wellness that we all strive for so or at least those that are concerned about ideal health and staying away from chronic pathology that we all strive for yeah and if we talk about oral health again we know there are microbiological life forms bacteria uh, at the top end of the the gi tract the the alimentary canal and that we don't need to indiscriminately kill them there's a balance in, in a healthy balance versus the kind where they say, oh, cavities are going to form because there's bad bacteria in there. Well, why? What are you eating? What are you not eating? What's out of balance? What's out of whack in this scenario? And simply putting mercury, placing mercury into your teeth is enough to change the microflora within the mouth almost per- well permanently as long as the mercury's still there. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, Robert. And that this just that uh, observation and, and awareness that goes a long way in itself. Well, and I'm thinking in terms of the, the the pulling of teeth, for instance, tooth extractions. How you know how many of the dentists that do this type of work do they concern themselves with additional exposure directly into the bloodstream due to the the violence of, of ripping a tooth out if there is mercury present in the? T- I, I don't think they're considering that unless they're like an IAOMT or you know somebody trained in toxicology to recognize that danger. Yeah, even even the dentists that are aware of that, no matter how good the dentist is, no matter what precautions they take, just the mere mobilization aspect of it is going to increase exponentially, three to four-fold increase in the expo- amount of exposure that the individual is going to be um, uh, made susceptible to because the, the mere outgassing of the amalgam when you're grinding it out, no matter whether you have the oxygen mask and all the protective gear, you're still going to increase that propensity of the body to assimilate some of that mercury that's being released. So you're talking about how many of them are aware and not, or versus not aware. I would agree with that. But even those that are aware, it's very, very difficult to prevent an increase in exposure during the extraction process in itself. So it's virtually impossible mm-hmm. to eliminate all risk from it, even knowing how, how detrimental and how possibly pathological it could be. 
Yeah, so I, I'm just you know curious as I as I bring this up with this this story. It's always about uh, the the fear of the bacteria, which is warranted when it's present in certain areas. When you talk about the endocarditis, the mitral valve scenario, uh, what about again the, the the role of of a sudden mercury inflow into the bloodstream? Couldn't couldn't that also cause similar uh, expressions of disease? Well, let's follow that line of thought for a second. We have that huge influx of mercury, or let's even say it's a subtle influx of mercury. Mercury is an immunosuppressor, so it's going to reduce the body's immune system, which is now going to allow any potential pathogenic substance, whether it's bacteria, viruses, spirochetes, mycoplasma, parasites, whatever it may be, it's going to allow those to flare up because the immune system just took a hit because the mercury was released. So that's totally independent, and it's a different mechanism, but yes, would the symptoms be the same? Well, if you have an increase in bacterial count because there's an increase in bacterial count versus an increase in relative bacterial count because there's a decrease in the immune system, you see the net effect, if it's just bacterial you're looking at, is going to be, the net effect is going to be the same. But then add on mm-hmm. to it the reduction in the immune system that causes other things to be elicited too, not just the bacterial aspect, but now you're looking at the viral aspect, the yeast aspect, the mycoplasma aspect, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, we're looking at the increase in oxidative stress from the mercury aspect. So... I guess the answer to your question would be I would think that it wouldn't mimic the the mercury aspect, wouldn't mimic the bacterial increase. It would probably be far greater. It would, uh, for, for an untrained eye or somebody who's not aware of it, they may say, oh, that's a severe bacterial infection. I would say, no, it's more a mercury response or increase in mercury release response, a mobilization response. Well, it's, I guess it's, uh, again, getting deeper into the understanding of the law of the terrain, which uh, I guess a Weston Price-type dentist would un- would understand that more in, you know, the discussions that what he identified in, in, in diet and its impact on the human frame and animal health and everything like that, as opposed to just isolating a microbe and saying that's the cause of all of our ailments. Yes, I would, I would uh, definitely concur that a Weston Price-type dentist would be far more aware and would understand the implications uh, in a much greater manner than somebody who has not studied uh, those types of principles. Yes, I would completely agree with that. Okay, now I want to transition. We got that crisis out of the way. And by the way, of course, alternate means of neutralizing bacterial uh, infection. You know, we talk about oil of oregano. We've talked about silver, the use of silver. Uh, there are homeopathic remedies as well. And, and you've utilized in, in probably a little bit of everything to successfully not have to resort to an antibiotic unless it was absolutely a life and death scenario that you had no other option. Um, I, we have we have resorted to many different modalities of therapies and treatments yes i would i would concur with that <laughs> okay all right i'm just like you said just want to go with you now this leads us to the next thing we only got about a minute or so before break so it's only going to start our discussion one of the key things this hour with you uh, headline reads immune mechanism that attacks viruses discovered right this is a very exciting scientific uh, revelation so to speak and they're two very different but related elements at the same time of the immune system that can work together to fight what they call viral infection. And it relates to the lymphatic system. Again, we've talked a lot about this, and they're ta- talking about targeting, targeting the rotavirus, which they have a vaccine from our not-so-good friend, Paul Offit. And interestingly enough, and you could probably guess this without reading it, they identify this wonderful new pathway, the way the immune system works. Are they saying, let's see how we can help the immune system to work better, or can we develop a drug that mimics it? 
a drug that mimics working the immune system better. Well, that, that does what the immune system is doing. Can we develop a drug that uh, does what the immune system does? But, yeah, of course, well, those are your two options. Which one are they looking at? Well, I'm sure they're probably looking at a drug to make the immune system function better. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. And that's, that's where they're going. Let's talk about this because this is similar to what Dr. Batar and I discussed a few weeks ago. And if you missed it, go back to medicalrewind.com and give a, give a listen. That yeah, They identify what the immune system does, and rather than saying, how do we help it, let's circumvent it. Let's do an end around it and see if we can get it with a patented pharmaceutical to make that work, or a vaccine to trick it. But not here, not now, not ever, not on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rashi Bittar. Back, talking the immune system after this. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Okay, we're talking the immune system with Dr. Rasha Batar. If you miss a show, no worries. You've got archives available through Natural News Radio, through GCN, our syndicator, through Medical Rewind, and many other places around the world, including UK Health Radio. Um, and Dr. Batar's reviewing that article real quick. There's a, uh, a you know, one of the skeptics that uh, Hoofnagel, the science cat, has taken on, this guy named Mark Chrislip. He says you can't boost the immune system because you can only fill a gas tank up so far. But these people that don't get this concept, Dr. Batar, they don't have a concept of immune dysregulation. They don't have a concept that people's immune systems are not at optimal, not at 100%. Because when we say boost immune system, of course, you and I talk about modulating it, not boosting it. But the idea that it can work more than its capacity, that's not what we're saying. They're creating uh, uh, another, uh, I don't know, what, what do they call it, a red herring or, or something, or a straw man to say what you're saying is not real. Yeah, you know, this is a very, very important concept, Robert, and it's actually a very subtle difference, yet a very crucial difference to understand, because I think that this is like almost being on that edge of the fence, and you can fall one way or the other way. So the the, the first thing is, to your point, nobody's talking about boosting the immune system beyond its physiological um, parameters. But what we are doing, talking about, is getting it up to its maximum physiological parameters. And unfortunately, due to many of the things that we do iatrogenically, the doctors do, that the, the medical health profession does, by giving the vaccines and giving these immunosuppressive agents and because of the pollution, the toxicities, et cetera, et cetera, we are actually, if at all, within the normal immune function. If we are there, we are at the bare minimum functional level. And we're talking about taking it up to the maximum potential. We're not talking about making it extraordinary. We're talking about just getting it working. We're talking about if the difference is between a person crawling and a person running, we're not talking about a person right. um, you know, speeding at 75 miles an hour running on the pavement. No, we're just talking about allowing the person to at least rapidly walk or run as opposed to barely being crawling, you know, allowing to be crawling. Um, so when you look at this particular study that was done, and, and here's, you know, I, I read this thing. It's a very short article, and I had to read it twice, but it's so absurd. Um, the, the last part says, Our new discovery that interleukin-22 acts as a sort of reinforcement for interferon is so exciting because it could have implications for the design of future immunotherapy concepts. Well, what does interferon do to a human being? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's supposed to be produced in, endogenously. Is it not as a, a they've coined it as a, a thing to stop viral replication or somehow? What does it actually do? Well, interferon is, as you said, endogenously produced, and it's very beneficial. In fact, it's crucial to the immune system. But what happens when we give people interferon? Like synthetic oh, that's a nightmare. Talk to it's people who have been on synthetic interferon. Yeah, what, what basically happens to them? Their, their liver gets shut down. They, they end up having... They end up usually end up having a very long and miserable death. Interferon is not something that is beneficial, and pretty much everybody that has ever had interferon, it's, it's essentially like getting chemotherapy, right? right? Now they're talking about... Yeah, no, I've talked to many. I'm sorry? I've talked to many who have suffered uh, with this in, this treatment, especially with MS. So they've used it for different neurological degradation. But, yeah, it's, it, I've never talked to anybody that said, oh, yeah, it was pleasant, no problem. Yeah, and it's, and it's not that it's, you know, it would be worth it if it wasn't pleasant as, li- as long as it worked, but it doesn't work. So it's not pleasant, and it doesn't work, and it has a lot of uh, long-term sequela. Now, the question here is, they're saying that this new discovery that interleukin-22 acts as a sort of reinforcement for interferon is so exciting. What they're doing is they're going to take something like interferon, you know, when you're doing something, Inside a petri dish versus inside a dynamic living system, it's two different aspects. You've got the in vivo phenomena and the in vitro phenomena. And the in vivo phenomena, what's happening inside the body, is what's crucial. But just because something works in vitro doesn't mean it's going to work in vivo, now or vice versa. And so what they're talking about is now taking interferon and making it more, uh, reinforcing it with this interleukin-22, Whereas we already know that the interferon, when it's given the way it's given, is not beneficial. Hey, how about a truly unique concept? Let's get the garbage out of the way and step back and let the body do what it was designed to do. <laughs> That's the point of all of this. Is exactly right. Of course, they're going to add to the synthetic interferon, synthetic interleukin-22. It's going to devastate you even more. And that's why we do what we do. Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Batar each and every Monday to kick off the week here. And if you miss a show, medicalrewind.com is the easiest place, but there's a whole lot of other places also. Linked in the show notes, you'll see a big banner. Just click on it. It'll take you to the nine steps to keep the doctor away, the international bestseller by Dr. Batar. Stick around. We've got lots more healing to go. A great moment of duh upon weight maintenance and pregnancy as well. And who knows what else? Political healing? Could it be? Maybe. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, summertime road trips. Maybe you're going to the beach. Maybe you're going to the lake. Actually, we're going to head up to Atlanta uh, next week to see my mom. And by the way, Tuesday, the 23rd of June, come and see me at R. Thomas, 24 hours a day. But I'm going to be there 7 to 9 next Tuesday, live broadcast at R. Thomas. So come enjoy some organic food with me. Body Ecology Diet Inspired as well, and we'll broadcast from there. Dr. Bataro, you meet me in Atlanta? No, you'll be too busy. Yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make it out there. All right, we'll have some chicken wings, some organic chicken yeah, wings, and that'll be fun. There you go. You just, you know, the magic word is food, right? 
<laughs> exactly. We know what gets you going. So anyway, that's on Peachtree in Atlanta. Uh, Art Thomas, we'll see Richard Thomas, and he'll probably put a bird on my head like last time when I broadcast from there. So that'll be fun. So uh, anyway, your wife sent this story. Um, it's off of, uh, well, I'm sure it's been picked up by a lot of places, USA Today as well. Florida is now warning beachgoers of flesh-eating bacteria. I mean, it's not enough that two kids got their their arms bit off this week by sharks. I'm serious. But now we got to worry about the things you can't see. Maybe you couldn't see the shark, but the bacteria are saying they're going to eat you alive. Now, I remember when I was a kid going into the water in, in Florida, uh, if I had a cut or a scrape, you'd be in there for hours. By the time you came out, it had scabbed over and it was healing. It was like all the minerals were actually good for it. Now they're saying it's not. What's going on? Well, um, I actually, believe it or not, I don't think my wife's listening right now, but I have not read the story. So why don't you tell us, Robert, because I have not read it. <laughs> well, they say two deaths have been reported uh, of the Vibrio or Vibrio vulnificus bacterium. And they're saying if you're immunocompromised or if you have uh, a, an open wound or a cut or a scrape, that this bacteria may get in there and start eating your flesh. And they've warned at Brevard County, uh, Duval County, Marion County, Pasco County, Santa Rosa, and St. Lucie in Florida. Uh, that you know this is a real issue but the key here of course is if you're immunocompromised or you have an open gaping wound these are unusual circumstances where all kinds of things can get in to me it's indicative though of probably some form of 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 uh, sewage drainage into the ocean coming back on the people that are there because in a healthy ocean you don't have a lot of pathogenic bacteria floating around well the other thing is uh the other factor here that we're talking about robert would be what is the immune state of those that were um, susceptible to this. So, you know, to say, well, how many people did you say that had exposure to this, the flesh-eating bacteria? Well, two, two people, they claim two people died, but they do say that, that if you're immunocompromised. Of course, that's the key word, isn't it? Right, exactly. I mean, you know, you look at the picture, in fact, in the article, because while you were reading it, I was pulling it up, and you see just in that one little shot of the beach, there's probably, just in that picture alone, what would you say, Robert, about 250 people that we can just see in that picture, maybe maybe 500 people? I mean, it's hard to it tell. Could be, it could be, a, yeah, it could be a thousand. It's just it's spread around. I mean, there's so many people there at the beach, and it's similar with shark bites, which are they're tragic, if, especially if you lose a limb, but it doesn't happen often relative to the amount of people that are actually there. Exactly. And so for them to say that's a rare flesh-eating bacteria, um, it, it doesn't really make that much sense. It would be probably two or three or five people that ended up having some type of immunocompromised state and were able to uh, basically, they were, they were rendered susceptible to this, whatever bacteria it was, and uh, ended up getting, um, getting this issue. So if you look at, there's a thing called necrotizing fasciitis, and we've talked about this on the show before. It's a mm-hmm. bacterium, it's, it's actually a staph, uh, it's, it's a normal occurring bacteria, but when it gets into the fascial plane, and if somebody's rendered immunocompromised, the necrotizing fasciitis will cause death within 24 hours. It basically is a unbelievably rapidly proliferating infectious process that will, it's only surgically corrected, meaning they have to like amputate or cut off that part of the body because the infection is so rapid and, and it's so detrimental. And basically is the same type of scenario as the flesh acting bacteria. But the point is that it's, you don't see that typically, and, and when a person gets it, it's because they've been severely immunocompromised, and, and it's a normal occurring bacteria that if it gets in the wrong place and the person's uh, immune system is no longer functional, will rapidly mm-hmm. cause ultimate demise. 
So, to real, real, again, this comes back to the viral bacterial hunters we've talked about before. Yes. Right? The, the people that, treat, well, that blame everything on the virus or the bacteria as opposed to looking at the actual cause of it. Well, yeah, the, the host susceptibility. But, again, if you're walking around with open wounds, that's an unusual circumstance that uh, outside of a, a genuine immunocompromised individual, which there are plenty based on all of the things that are you wrote about in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. We keep coming back to that, but it's so important to understand. Now, we have another story. It's, I feel like we're on a road trip today. It's like a summer road trip through the news stories of the day. This one's published at time.com. Obesity now costs the world $2 trillion a year. And they say half the world's population could be obese by 2030. That's according to a McKinsey Global Institute report. Uh, They're talking about the numbers there, but they're saying if the trends continue by 2030, they think half of the world's population will be clinically obese. And they think, well, what can we do? Well, there's no single solution, but here's what they call for. Systemic, sustained portfolio of initiatives. This is key to let's take money from the world's richest nations and send them to the poorest nations. In the meantime, the corporations will eat up that money for things that don't work, but will profit handsomely. And the governments that allow it will also, a few of those people will get good money. And in order to tackle it, they'll say, well, we need better labeling (laughs) for nutrition. Healthier foods at schools. Advertising restrictions on fatty foods and beverages and public health campaigns. Again, nothing to do with the real crisis of, hey, what about everybody growing their own food, getting back to the farm? Little basic stuff that would not require government expenditures, but it would require simply teaching people about how to grow food again. Yeah, it almost makes too much sense, Robert. It, it, it almost, you know, <laughs> it, it just makes too much sense. Um, the, the point that you're making of, of People starting to, again, understand the importance of becoming sustainable, not only in, in uh, the, the venue that we're talking about, but in all aspects of life. I was very, very impressed when traveling in, in certain parts of the world, seeing how the culture itself is a sustainable culture in the sense that, for example, water is not taken for granted. Water is always collected from every rooftop of every house from, from rain. And that's just a normal part and parcel of how water is collected. They don't take water for granted. It's not automatically you just flip on the switch and the hair tap comes on and the water comes in. That's how we in the Western world actually have become spoiled. So the idea of sustainability, the idea of sustaining not only what you eat, you know, the sustainable ways of growing food and, and of maintaining your health and preventing a pathology from becoming more rampant, these concepts and these principles that we're talking about, I think it's crucial for people to embrace and allow us to get to the next level of uh, human evolution. Well, exactly. But again, these are profit centers, ironically, for the the corporate interest. And we're talking about corporate welfare, right? When we talk about uh, sending money from rich nations to poor nations, who, who filters that money? It's the corporations that have, have lobbied contracts that are specific to them and their products, like the vaccine industrial complex, to send things into areas that are not needed for genuine health, like we talk about, adequate sanitation, uh, sewage systems that are modernized, the, you know, the ability to have a safe toilet that actually takes things away and doesn't allow them to become cesspools of disease in a given community. Uh, these things are probably not as profitable because once you install them, it's not like there's no maintenance, but relative to just keep sending more drugs and more vaccines where you continue to profit, it's a whole different realm that people uh, have been duped into saying, well, it's the only way we can save the people. Keep sending money to big pharma. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, Robert. I I agree with you, and and, 
I'm not I'm not very very keen on the idea of being dependent on anybody or, or dependent. I think that part of that problem is that we have as a people a lot of big farmers to get that control over us, and we rely on that quick fix. Um, Mm-hmm. And so part of, part of that we're probably to blame for. Well, absolutely. And, and I think that's an interesting thing that you bring up because it's sort of an as above, so below. And we look at the whole idea of uh, corporate welfare or welfare in, in terms of our other nations or nations coming together through the United Nations, WHO, and then sending money to help people, but, again, not really helping them because the moneyed interests don't want to help them genuinely. They want to help themselves and have the illusion of helping others. We have that within our own country within the welfare system, within what's called Obamacare, the idea that we're going to provide some sort of health insurance that is not really health insurance, that doesn't cover much of anything that is actually healthy. Yeah, and I think, Robert, this is true with not just health. It's true with our economy. It's true with when you look at the the way that, you know, we're, the erosion of the Second Amendment aspect, they want to take away the guns to help us protect ourselves so we're not victims of, you know, it, 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 you could actually take, and insert that entire aspect of what you just said in all aspects of when government gets involved, whether it's insurance, whether it's uh, in, in finances and in, in investments in, uh, you know, food, in medicine, and in, in health care, whatever, it's the same type of concept. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, the pattern has emerged that um, uh, unlike our, our founding fathers that were really thrilled to have a government that would leave, leave the people alone, that would do the bare minimum, as the Constitution prescribed, uh, to the point where the government has become the be-all, end-all for so many. Now, that dependence has not been created organically. It's been created artificially by inducing the dependence, by uh, managing an economy, by pumping uh, you know, Federal Reserve notes, fiat money or paper dollars, in where gold and silver used to be. And you literally artificially inflate the economy to such a degree that the average worker can never keep up with the rate of new money coming into it. And much like we talk about food that has no nutrients in it, you can't live on Twinkies and expect to be vitally healthy, much less recover from the disease that was caused by the very empty calories you were consuming. Right. It's, it's the same thing that we've talked about before, where Einstein's uh, comment, where that you cannot solve a problem with the same insanity that created it. It's the same exact thing. Exactly. Well, uh, let's see. With that, I'm just trying to think of where we'll go because we've got some interesting stories to cover at the end of today. And I think that uh, I'm not even going to play the moment of duh music, but this is one of those moments of duh real quick before we hit the break here. Uh, Exercise, diet, or both may protect against excess pregnancy weight. Yeah. That would qualify as a moment of duh, would it not? No, absolutely. But, you know, this is actually... Uh, this actually comes brings up a very very good point. Women, this is on the side note. I'm not I'm not familiar with the study, and I'm actually looking at it right now. But I will tell you this: that women that exercise mm-hmm. have an easier pregnancy, and more importantly, have an easier labor process than women that don't exercise. Did you know that? Yeah, classic, classic. Yeah, and by and large, we we have seen that with some folks that are fr- uh, friends of ours, a friend of mine, in fact, Shane Ellison, his wife exercise right through, lifting weights, doing all kinds of activity right to the time, almost to birth, and just incredible what they were able to do. All right, well, we're going to take a break, come back, and we'll decide what kind of crazy, wild stories we're going to wrap up with uh, to surprise Dr. Bittar. Stay with us, uh, because you never know how he'll react to this one. (laughs) The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
Democrats out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. All right, so the moral of the last story is, ladies, if you can, obviously you want to exercise. Obviously, eat well, move right through pregnancy, and a lot of good things will happen for you there for the most part. You know, there's always you know exceptions, things that are happening we can't predict, but for the most part, this is a good idea. Now, uh, we didn't play it as a moment of duck because I ran out of time. I I wish we had a theme song, Super Don, for a moment of huh, (laughs) because this one is a moment of huh? What is going on with Chris Christie? You know, we've talked about over the last few... Robert, hold on on one second. I've got to say this. This is what's unique about this show, that even though if you and I had to categorize ourselves and Don categorize ourselves between Republican and Democrat, we all three, I think, easily I can say, would have to say that we are a Republican as opposed to Democrat. But, of course, most of us know that that is is nothing but an illusion, so created to distract everybody from the real issues. But most people, whatever stance they take, they would not attack their own thought process. And so we, wouldn't you say that we are more Republican than Democrat? Well, I think in, in terms of the rhetoric of a smaller government. the actual word. Yeah, right. More conservative than, than uh, uh, Looney Tune liberal, and, and not in the classical liberal sense, because they've bastardized all the definitions, too. So when you say these words, people have assumptions that may or may not be correct. But in terms of our willingness to go after Republicans, like we've gone after yeah. Democrats when they screw, we, no, we don't. We have no problem doing that. Absolutely not. And that's exactly what and, we're going to do, right? Because this is absurd. This guy just jumped into the bat himself. <laughs> Proceed. Right. We don't go Republican after Democrats. We don't go after Republicans. We go after stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the case. And. Chris Christie just dumped in, uh, dumped himself into a vat of stupid uh, with this story. Uh, headline reads, women's Viagra pill will only increase lesbianism. Okay. Well, we've been talking about the FDA considering approval of uh, some something that is like Viagra for women, which we dispute. But when we read this story, Dr. Batar, I, I looked at it. I was like, this, some, this is made up. So no, no one would be this dumb to say this. And it, he was asked to comment uh, about this saying that it will increase lesbianism if they approve this pill. He, he, and he said, oh, no, I really feel like women could use a Viagra pill like we don't have enough. Uh, I'm going to say this. It's his words. Like we don't have enough dykes already. I mean, he said that. I can't believe he said that. And then asked to elaborate on it. Me, he didn't back let out. Let he says, tell you something. I think the reason, yeah. you know, this, this would be because he probably has, he's probably caused more women to rethink their sexual preferences and go to lesbians <laughs> because for himself. <laughs> well, he's... Yeah. It, it you, know, you, know next year, you know next year they're going to come out with a book and Bruce Jenner's going to blame it on Chris Christie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. That could go there. But he says the only thing such a pill would do for women, talking about this female Viagra, is to get them to change their sexual orientation. He He's doubling and tripling down on this. Now... It occurs to me that, you know, listen, nobody's hidden the fact that, uh, oh, Chris Christie's morbidly obese. Not in a, you know, not even a little bit, but a lot. And, and so we can assume, and I don't think it's a bad assumption, although I'm not diagnosing him, that he may have some dysfunction based on the weight he carries. And, and I can see that in a general way. But he says this, uh, no, the men no, of no, today no, Robert, already have... Robert, Robert, I don't think you could, you could maybe come to that conclusion. I think it would be absolutely a 99.9% conclusion based upon not the way he looks, but based upon mm-hmm. the, what he's saying. Okay, yes, all right, let's take his words. 
So listen yeah. to this, and you see if you come to the same conclusion. He says, the men of today already have enough trouble satisfying women as it is. Why do you think so Viagra was invented in the first place? Okay. Right, so let's look at that first thing. That For a man that says the men of today already have enough trouble satisfying women as it is, that is not, that is an indication of him and his stance. That's projection. Total projection. That's projection, yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Projection. He's projecting his inadequacy onto men. Right. So he keeps going. He keeps digging deeper into the vat of stupid. Uh, but no, let's amplify women's sex drive even further. That'll help them feel more satisfied and relaxed. And who are they going to turn to to quench that thirst? Other women. Men aren't no, machines. No, they will, they, will, they will turn to real men to quench that thirst. <laughs> well, <laughs> men aren't machines, but neither are they. They're talking about women now. He says men they just haven't realized it yet. That's right. Men are machines. <laughs> Exactly. Some women think you men need are tools. To quit hitting the vending exactly. machines. Right? You better. Yeah. All right, Doctor Batar. Thanks for traveling with us on a summer vacation of uh, of a little silly and a lot of seriousness too, in helping bring uh, the power to heal back where it belongs with each and every one of you, uh, Doctor Batar. I'll, I'll let you end the show. What do we say each week? That the power to heal is absolutely yours. Thank you, my friend. Back tomorrow with more healing. The Robert Scott Bell Show.